we are one of the most confused people to ever live. And here's proof. Yesterday, I posted a photo that I thought was obvious. It was a simple photo, and all it said was, which cereal is best? And in this photo, multitudes upon multitudes, I mean, thousands of followers submitted the answer to the question. It really came down to two cereals. And I thought, surely the youth of America know so much more than I give them credit for. But alas, many of you said Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And I'm here today to tell you you're wrong! <laughs> Lucky Charms is the way to go! This is the cereal! Alright, sermon over. We're done. We're <laughs> going to leave this here as proof positive of what I'm about to say this morning. But really, though, we, we are super confused today, and there's so, so much evidence of that. This whole series about boys and girls needs to start here. So if this comes across as obvious to you, please bear with me for this sermon, because it's super important that we talk about it. Let me show you what I'm talking about. If you were to look at Facebook just a few years ago, and you were to say, hey, what gender options do I have? They had over 50 options for you. Uh, female to male, cis female, trans female, trans asterisk female, male to female, cisgender female, transgender female, and on and on and on it goes. And there's a lot of different options. And by the way, just, just to make it clear, I am by no means making fun of this. That, that's not a joke. That's not, I'm not making fun. You understand? I am pointing out something that's, that's hard for, for me to look at as a pastor, uh, because things like this are, are not uncommon. In fact, Facebook, instead of saying, you know what, this is, this is hard to maintain, what they did is they, they, did out, they did out with all the different options. And now what they put there is simply male, female, or custom. Whatever you want to put in there, that's fine. Uh, because it was too hard to keep up with the growing list of different gender options. And so now it's as simple as what, are, what do you want to be called? Male, female, custom? And then what gender pronoun do you want people to use? Um, that's a big problem, I think. And, and that kind of confusion is what pervades our culture and what you're being presented to day in and day out. In fact, I saw a video recently of a guy at a GameStop who was clearly a guy. I mean, biologically, anatomically a male, but wearing female clothes. And the, the guy at the counter, the GameStop attendant, was saying, sir, you know, we need to do such and such. And he got really, really, really mad. The, he said, stop calling me sir. Stop calling me man. Stop calling me sir. Give me your corporate number. I need to call and sit, let them know. I have been misgendered. You're going to lose so much money over this because you're mislabeling me. You're misgendering me. I'm so angry about this. And the guy never looked more masculine and more male than in the moment when he was demanding to be called a female. So, confusion abounds, but here's the good news, and here's what I really want to spend a few minutes with you talking about today, and it's that the Bible offers simplicity. The Bible offers a clear and easy picture for us to wrap our minds around, and unfortunately, in today's day and age, it's controversial. This may be very, very well one of the most controversial sermons I've ever preached in True North, not because it's anything supernaturally like aggressive, but just because it's so contrary to everything that you are being taught is true. So, without further ado, let me help you understand from the Bible's perspective what it looks like to be a boy and a girl and what that implies in our relationships. Because whether you know it or not, by very design, by the fact that you're a male or a female, God has given you a role to fill. And again, even though I, I think, biblically speaking, it's obvious, and even uh, if you just look around, I think it's, it's obvious. You're going to be challenged, I think, with this sermon. So as we talk about boys and girls, please turn with me to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis, which actually means beginning. 
we're going to look at the picture of male and female being born by God and how they were intended to fill creation, how they were intended to be made. This is perfection. This is the way it was intended to be. This is what God originally designed, the original template, the blueprint for all of humanity. And let me just give you the end at the beginning right now. Boys are made to be good. <laughs> Girls are made to be good. Girls are good. Boys are good. Both of them together are good. They're good all by themselves. And there's not a, a fuzzy middle. There's not a fuzzy middle. There's not an outside of that. There's boys, there's girls, and both are good individually, separately, and they're also very good together. So let's look at Genesis chapter 2, jump in the text fairly quickly, and help, uh, help ourselves understand what God intends for us to have clarity on. Genesis 2 verses 18 through 20, then the Lord God said, it is not good pause there for a second. That is a jolting phrase because just a few moments ago, as Lewis was reading through Genesis chapter one, what did God say over and over and over and over again? It was good. That's right. And then when he got to man and woman, he said, it's very good. But before he gets to that last very good, he says about Adam, it is not good that the man, Adam, should be alone. And then he says something super offensive. I will make him a helper fit for him. We'll unpack that offensive statement in just a few moments. Verse 19, now out of the ground, the God had, uh, Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper that was fit for him. So you get the idea here. This is before Eve shows up on the scene. God puts him, he, he has all the animals parade in front of him or perhaps fly down beneath him where he can see them. And then Adam, God's, by God's design, has this mental ability to say, you're a giraffe and you're a hippopotamus. Probably didn't use those words, but you get the idea, right? Eagle, ostrich, uh, spider, whatever. Does that. And then Adam suddenly realizes, by God's demonstration, there's not a pair for me here. I see, you know, Papa Owl and Mama Owl, they fly together. I see Mr. Hippopotamus and Mrs. Hippopotamus, and I'm just sensing here that there's not a compliment for me. And so God uh, brings it to Adam and says, hey, you don't have a helper that is fit for you, where everything else in creation has a pair. And so God shows him by nature of design here, Adam, you're, you're lacking, you're missing something. Now, before I jump into the obvious application of this sermon, that you should aim to get married, that you should aim to be, you know, to procreate and have a family. Let me just take a step back and get meta on you for a second and point out that what God is doing is showing you something even larger than the direct application of male-female relationships. What he's pointing out to you is that you were made, designed to, for relationship. Humanly speaking, like your, like your body needs food, your soul needs relationship. So point number one is like this, then you should understand that you were made, created by God for human relationship. There is a need that God has put within you that demands to have relationships with other people. This is a fundamental starting place. As a bird is made to fly, a shark is made to swim, a roller coaster is made to roller coast. A human is made to relate to other humans. It is a, is a need. And so before we jump into romantic relationships, let's just say, how are you doing with your other relationships? How are your bro relationships doing? How are your female relationships doing? Are you strong in those? Are they good relationships? God offers several reasons why. And one of the, one of the texts I want you to look at is Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. He says, it's not good that men be alone. Or in this case, not good that women be alone either. And here are some of the reasons why it's good for you to be together. Notice, it says, two are better than one. That's easy, right? And he gives, an, he gives a reason for that. He says, for or because 
they have a good reward for their toil, which is to say that there is exponential effectiveness. When there's two together as opposed to one, you're going to get more done. Now, I know that some of you guys have been in school projects that have been in groups and you haven't got more done. <laughs> that's not true in that case. And that's because not everyone's pulling their way. But when two are working together, when two are working together, they have a good reward for their toil. When there's two working together, same time, same place. When there's harmony, there's mutual reward. And then he goes on to say in verse 10, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. There's this gal who was super popular on Instagram. She was known for hiking these trails and she fell off one of the trails and she was alone. She fell down, uh, down, I think a 15 foot cliff and she was on the floor writhing in pain, unable to help herself. And so she sent out a distress call for someone to come and rescue her. But because she had no one there to help her, to give her immediate aid and assistance, the rescuers didn't arrive in time. And so she died. Ecclesiastes says it's better so that when you fall, or if you fall rather, you'll have someone there to lift you up. What friend is that for you? You need that. In fact, he offers a warning. That's what it means when it says, whoa, woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. You fall down, no one there to see you fall down and help you up. Man, you're in trouble. That's the, that's the gal who fell off the cliff. Again, verse 11, if two lie together, they keep warm. How, how many of you slept next to somebody? I mean, your sibling, your mom, your dad, not... <laughs> Not there, okay? We're not there. Not an adult sermon. This is a high school sermon. You sleep next to someone and, and their body heat radiates next to your body heat and your body heat radiates next to their body heat and suddenly it's really hot, super hot. And this is why Kristen and I sleep like miles apart because I get super hot when she's next to me. I'm like, stay over there. I'll be over here. It's a, it's a fact of life. And what God is pointing to here is by nature, by God's design, you, when two line together, there's mutual heat, there's ability to help one another. But if you're alone, how can one keep warm? I guess you might say put a blanket on, but that's not his point. Verse 12, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And the point behind that um, is, is clear. I, I used to, there was this guy that would pick on me um, before I was like, you know, I, I sprouted pretty quickly in middle school. I was like five foot 10 by middle school and I stayed there. Um, but before that, though, there was a guy to pick on me, and then suddenly, when I had a posse, I had people to help me, and then I was like, step up, bro, you know? He never stepped up when I was with people, when I was with people. And this was happening here. A man might prevail against one who was alone. Someone might jump you and beat you down to, to a pulp, but if there's more people with you, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. It's stronger. There's more resistance there. So there's a lot of benefit to what the Bible's saying for you to have human relationships. And this may seem so elementary to you, and I don't want to offend your sensibilities, but I do want you to see you need human relationships, which is why we focus so much on things like small groups. It's not for our own sake. It's not for because the leaders have nothing to do on a Wednesday night. It's because your relationships matter, and your relationships need to be at least threefold. You need someone who's pouring into you, you need a strong friend, and you need someone that you're pouring into. When you have all three of those working together, that's where the magic is. That's when you're expressing your feel for your full humanity. You're being taught, you're encouraging, and you're teaching. It's a whole thing that God would love for you to have and enjoy. Furthermore, when we think about this together, I want you to understand that, okay, you can't see it here, but the word for God is Elohim. Im, whenever you see an I am in Hebrew, which is how the Old Testament is originally written, im means plural. It's like an S at the end of our sentences. So God is called by a plural name, Elohim. And what that means is that God himself is a plurality by nature. But Pastor Rod is in God one. God is one. He is one God. He is three persons. God is one substance, but he is expressed. He is found in three persons. The Bible describes God as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Those three form a triunity, otherwise known as a 
Trinity. God in his very nature tells us that it is foolish for us to try to do life alone. Absolutely foolish, destructive, soul-destroying, foolish. So it's important that we start this conversation here by understanding we need relationship. And for the record, notice here in verses 19, when God brings all the animals to him, what he's trying to point out to Adam is, hey, the animals are great. Everything except cats are awesome, but they're not enough for you. Animals are not enough. That when Adam sees all the animals paraded, he probably maybe ran into a cat, unfortunately, and then he ran into a dog. He said, man, God created good things. But in all of that, Adam saw that there was not an animal fit for him. Adam didn't have an animal that suited him the way that another person would. And so what I want to show you in this is that God has designed you to have human relationships and animals aren't enough. Don't be cat lady, okay? Especially cats. Don't be cat lady. You can't be, and if so many, so many people uh, just a little older than you are saying, you know, instead of having kids, we're just going to have cats. We're going to have dogs. We're going to have fill in the blank. And in fact, if you start looking at statistics, the trend is showing that playgrounds are being replaced with what? Dog parks, cat parks. I don't know what a cat park is, but <laughs> animal parks, <laughs> animal housing places where they have fun. Animals aren't enough. And I think part of the reason why we, we love animals is because they're so relationally clean, uh, except for cats, but animals, dogs, I mean, they wag their tail when you come home, they lick your face, they like you, they don't care that you forgot to feed them, they don't care that you didn't clean their, their thing, they just love that you're you, and they praise you like, like a little servant, like, oh, you're the most amazing thing since sliced bread, you're awesome. Cats, not so much, but my point is... My point is, animals are relationally clean, whereas humans take a lot more work. And I get that. But your, the point here is to show you that God made us for human relationship. And FYI, God slaughtered some animals to make clothes for Adam and Eve. So animals are also, in some way, discardable, as the case may require. So all that to say, guys, you should, at the very least, as we start off this series, you need to choose to invest in, in good relationships. So many of you guys are... You guys are health conscious, and so you, you know, I'm gluten-free, I'm Whole30, I, I don't eat grains, I don't, whatever. Whatever your diet is, we take a lot of pride, and, and we do a lot of work to eat healthy. Some of you guys would never eat a Lucky Charm because it, does, it has sugar in it, it's got preservatives, who knows what other kind of cancer is waiting in this thing for you, and you wouldn't eat it. And you're discriminating when it comes to what you put inside your body, but you're less discriminating when, you, when, it, when it comes to what you put inside your soul with other friends. And just like there's healthy foods, there are healthy friends. Healthy foods and healthy friends are sometimes not the most tasty, but you know you need them, right? A broccoli sprout doesn't taste good, but you know I should eat this. It's going gonna, it's gonna to do me better. A friend who loves you is going to be a friend who convicts you with, of your sin in a godly way and says, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. I love you enough to tell you what you're doing is wrong. The person you're seeing is wrong. The fact that you're not coming to church or whatever is wrong. Whatever it is that that friend is doing for you, if it hurts, it's probably a good friend. A friend who loves you is a friend who's going to stab you in the front, not in the back. We need relationships. We need good relationships. And from the very beginning, God made us for them. Let's continue on as we look at the next few verses. Now that we've understood relationships are essential, that's how God designed us. We need that. Let's now look at how God expects that to work itself out between male and female. God gave names to all, excuse me, man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the heavens, and every beast of the field. But for Adam, not found a helper fit for him. Verse 21, so God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. Okay, God's performing surgery on Adam. 
And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Okay. God highlights, Adam, no one here for you. God fixes the issue, takes the woman out of the man, makes and fashions a woman out of it, presents her to Adam. Adam says, awesome. I mean, you could kind of see it in his voice, right? This at last, finally, she's here. My one, my only, my Eve, she's here. She's going to be called a woman because she was taken from man. He's not that clever at that point, but that makes sense, right? It makes sense. This is what he's waiting for. And, and there's subtle things in this text that I want to point out to you. What you're seeing from the very beginning here, the way that God has designed humanity to work. Look at, look at this. He gave names to all the livestock. Okay, this is God saying, Adam, you're going to name the animals. Who named you? Who named you? Your parents, right? Your parents have authority over you, so they're the ones who gave you the name. God, in, the same, in a similar way, says, Adam, name the animals. God then makes Adam fall asleep, pulls something out of Adam, and says, hey, I'm going to make you now a woman, makes the woman out of Adam, and then Adam names her. What you're seeing are the seeds of what I'm hoping to develop here for you. And I don't want you to get super offended by this. But my point number two is I want you to see the goodness of godly male leadership. Godly male leadership. The goodness of it. It's meant to be a good thing. And not everyone is on board with this today. And there are a lot of reasons why. Toxic masculinity abounds. <laughs> if you've seen the Gillette commercial, you've seen... Gillette make a, a billion dollar, I don't know how much it costs them to make, but a commercial that costs a lot of money to, to point out the, the issues with humanity today, specifically men, men, you know, they're sexual abusers, they, 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 they're tyranny, they're, they're tyrants rather, they abuse the power God has given them, they use their strength to, to prey on women and to encourage unruliness in their young boys and on and on and on it goes. And if that weren't enough, you remember Harvey Weinstein of last year, right? Harvey Weinstein was busted for, you know, being inappropriate with a lot of gals in order to further their career. They had to go through him in ways that were awful. And of course, you can see videos online today. You can search in in the YouTube machine and find as many videos on, as you want about police brutality. Is it ever a woman who's beating anyone? Usually not. It's always a guy, a strong guy who's in some way being aggressive with someone else. Uh, you have people in high positions in our, our, in our culture who are saying and doing things that are awful. And they're the people that were saying, you're our leader. Um, and not only that, I mean, just as a whole, in our culture, you may not see this in South Orange County, but you have a lot of men who are abandoning their families, their wives, their kids, and saying, I'm done with you, I got other things to do, I'm going to follow my dreams and let you do what you do. So when I put point number two out, I understand that I'm saying this in a culture where male authority in general is looked down upon because it's largely broken. But I want to point you to the beginning here, where I, I can show you that even though it may be broken now. That's not how God designed it. Again, you see in Adam, God has given him the ability and, and the position to name the animals. He names Eve. Eve comes from him. And then at the last of it, look at verse 23 there. He says, this is bone of my bones, right? Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. What, what is he doing there? He's saying, I take full responsibility for Eve. I'm going to protect her. She's now my, it's like she's my own flesh and blood. We say that when we talk about family, right? Eve is my family. Eve is someone I will do whatever I need to do to protect her, to care for, to provide for her. Speaking of providing, he accepts responsibility for her well-being. This is at last. This is my bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I'm going to call her woman. She came out of man. Adam's not waiting for anything here. God, God is not having to prod Adam. Say, Adam, will you finally kind of love her? Come on, go do something. Adam is taking the initiative to say, she's mine. I am hers. 
I will do anything I need to do to take care of that woman. Young men. One thing I'm going to point out to you in this, and, and ladies, your time is coming, so hang tight. Young men. This is the prototype man. Now we find the fullest expression of humanity in Jesus Christ. But this is the beginning. This is where it all starts. And this is where our series does start. If you're going to have a girl, if I'm going to say next week or the week after talking to them about finding the right man, you need to be the right man. I'm going to tell these ladies in a second to have to be willing to submit to godly men. Are you a godly man? Are you the kind of man that's going to be willing to sacrifice to lead and protect other women? Or are you going to be influenced by the culture to say, you know, well, hey, women are equal, so I'm going to let her open her own door. I'm going to let her open her own car door. I'm going to let her provide for her own meal. I'm going to let her do whatever she needs to do, and I'm going to step away. Because that's what culture's telling me to do. No, the Bible's telling you instead to love her. Be a man worthy to be followed by a worthy woman. Be a man that is above reproach. A man that is above reproach is one who's not in pornography. We talked about this two weeks ago, but pornography, the statistics say that most of you in this room are struggling with that, if not at least in it on a regular basis. That can't be you. That can't be you. That can't be the kind of women, uh, man that are, the women in this room are going to want to marry. I don't want you to be that. God doesn't want you to be that. In fact, as Adam approaches Eve, he's saying, I am taking full responsibility, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. I will care for her. I will provide for her. She came out of me. I'm going to serve her. I'm going to do everything I can to show her that I honor her and esteem her. So sweat, serve, love the women in your lives. And that starts with your mom. Your mom ought to be the woman that you most esteem at this moment in your life. If that's not the case, fix that. Because your young lady that you're going to want to date is going to look at how you treat your mom and is going to make a very real and viable <laughs> prediction about how you're going to treat her. If you're not loving your mom and honoring her and supporting her and, and, and caring for her, then, man, don't, don't even bother dating right now. Get that right. Fix your own house first before you start to go fix someone else's house. Adam is designed to lead. Leading means sacrifice. Sacrifice means pain. Pain is the cost of leadership. And if you're going to be a godly man as God wants you to be, embrace it now. In fact, if we're going to get real in this series, the series is called Boys and Girls. The first step for you is to not be a boy anymore. Boom. Ladies, this part is hard for me to say as a guy, but I'm going to say it anyway because this is where it all goes to. You've already noticed, and I've already pointed it out, that Eve is called a helper. Eve is, by design, meant to be a helper to the guy. And that's hard, especially today where it's not, you're, you're asked to submit to sinful conditions. I get that. But before you raise your eyebrow and perhaps push this sermon away and say, well, that's old school, that's patriarchal, that's old school society, I'm not into that anymore. We're liberated. Women are equal with men, and amen with that part. But let me point to you, first and foremost, who is called a helper in Scripture, perhaps more than anyone else. Look at Exodus 18.4. There's this guy named Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help. Look at Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Look at also Psalm 70, verse 1. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. 
So what I want to point out to you, ladies, is that when you're called a helper, when Eve, your prototype lady, is called a helper, it doesn't mean to disparage you or to make you less than because God himself adopts the term for help in Scripture, which is to say you're in good company when God refers to Eve as a helpmate. When God talks about her as being a support to the man, you're in the same company that God himself is. Well, but Pastor Rod, if I'm supposed to submit to these people, doesn't that make me less than? Doesn't that lower my status in, in society? No. Let me prove to you by going back to God's design in nature. God the Father sits at the head of the triune Godhead. God the Father sent who? To earth. The Son. That's right. God the Father sends the Son. The Son sent who? The Spirit. You got it. All three are co-equal. All three are co-eternal. But is there any sense in which any of them are less than the other? No, they're equal. They're co-eternal. They all are God. And yet, within the Godhead, there is submission which is akin to a four-letter word these days because it sounds like it's so bad, but it's not the case. Eve is designed to be in submission to Adam, but in the Godhead, in God's nature, there is submission baked into that. We ought to take note. Equality does not mean sameness. And that alone feels like that's controversial. We are equal in value, different in roles. And I know for some of you that might sound a lot like, you know, separate but equal, but that's not what's happening here. God is creating mankind with equal value, having differing roles where they are better together. Which means, ladies, your job in this stage of life, it's not going to look the same as when you're married. I know that, so I'm not talking to you in that way. But as young ladies, you ought to affirm and encourage and, and nurture leadership from the worthy young men in these rows. They're practicing to become men. They're practicing. They're adopting habits of manliness. Your job is to encourage that, not to usurp that. We want young men to step up and to lead and to take, to take, the, to take the hit when it comes to who goes first. Not first as in first in prominence, first to take the hit. That's why we put men on the front lines of the battlefield. It's not because we think you're less than. It's not because we think that you should, uh, you're not as strong or not as capable. It's that men, by God's design, have been called to lead and therefore called to sacrifice and therefore called to be willing to get hit first. When the Titanic was sinking, they didn't say, hey, give us the men first because they're the most valuable, right? They said women and children first. Because by God's design, men are called to lead and therefore called to sacrifice. And that sacrifice means that they're willing to say, hey, if I have to give up a seat on the Titanic or on the, on the safety boat, so be it. Let's get the women and children in the safety boat first, and then I'll go in if there's room afterward. That is the call. And what used to be adopted is like, man, that's great. We love that. Our society should encourage that. Now it's looked down upon as like, well, you should go in the boat first. You're a man. I'm a woman. It doesn't matter. We're both the same. No, we're not. No, we're not. And that should be obvious, right? We're not the same. We're different. We think different. We do differently. And that's not supposed to be controversial. So young ladies, adopt that. Embrace that. Godly leadership is a good thing. And granted, there's no such thing as perfect godly leadership today. But if you have a, a guy, a young man who loves Jesus, the perfect, most godly man there ever was, that young man is following in the footsteps of Christ. We'll talk more about that next week. But that's where we should begin adopting and embracing those roles that God has instituted and understanding that they're good, they're good, and that we're better when we're together and doing differing roles, equal in value, different in roles. Let's continue on here. The last few verses, Genesis 2, 23 through 25. Of course, I, we just already looked at the man saying, this is that last bone of my bones, the flesh of my flesh. She's going to be called woman. She was taken out of man. 
You may not notice this. In fact, let me, let me go back here. I want to point out something to you. It's the Lord God. When he made a woman, he brought her to the man. The man responds to that with something that sounds a lot like a covenant vow. The Lord God, as the groom, or excuse me, the father of the bride, brings her to Adam, and Adam responds with, Man, I love you. I'm going to care for you. You're mine. I'm yours. We're one flesh now. What you're seeing is the very beginning of what will be called marriage. And one of the things today is to understand that marriage is a, is a, is a key. I mean, it's, it's, it's invented by God. And look, we can tell because of how our response shall be called a woman. There, therefore, here's the response. A uh, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. He'll hold fast to his wife. And then they were naked and they weren't ashamed. That's because they become one flesh. There's a lot more going on there than what meets the eye. Obviously, there's physical interaction there, but it's not less than that. What I want to point out to you, though, is that this is the, this is the prototype for marriage. We have the prototype for man and woman and the roles they fill. And now we have the prototype for what marriage is to be. So with that said, this may be also controversial. I expect some kickback from this, but let me just say this. You want to embrace God's perfect design for marriage. That's what's being shown here. And that's what I want you to see as the ideal. That's the perfect design. Now remember, where does sin enter the picture? Not Genesis 2, where we currently are. Sin enters the picture in Genesis 3. So this is God's perfect design. God perfectly puts Adam in the garden to lead as a godly male. He puts Eve perfect in the garden to be submissive, godly female. Together, they form a perfect marriage. Today, it's not so obvious because people are doing silly things like one guy in China married himself. We've talked before about um, Erica, who married the Eiffel Tower. We've, I don't know if I mentioned this guy. One guy married a character from a Nintendo DS game. Serious. It was real. I mean, it's not real, but in his mind it was real. One girl married, like Erica, uh, married the Berlin Wall. No joke. One man married a pillow. And one woman married a dolphin. Don't know how that worked, but it's what she did. And all of that makes sense, doesn't it? If, if you throw out the biblical framework for how it's supposed to work. And that's where we are. That's where we are today. The biblical idea of marriage is no longer part of our cultural equation because now it's about, well, what makes sense is really what makes me happy. And again, guys, I'm not making fun of any of this. I'm not trying to uh, demean any of these people who genuinely have these desires. I believe that they have those desires. And perhaps in this room, some of you guys have perverse desires that God would say are wrong and contrary to his perfect design. Maybe you have an attraction to the opposite sex. Or maybe you have an attraction to something else, someone else. I, I don't look at those people and laugh. Okay, I just want you to know that. I look at those people and I feel pity and sorrow for them because they are doing the exact opposite of what God wants them to do. Which is why, again, I don't want to assume as we begin this series about being a godly man and a godly girl that this is the same for you, that, that you're on the same page. God's perfect design for marriage is ultimately going to be better for us. And let me, let me point out to you why we believe the kind of marriage we do. First and foremost, I want to point out to you something. See that word there? That word there, that word there, that word there, that word there, that word there. 
what I'm, what I'm po- pointing out, obviously, I think is obvious, is, is, is the place that we begin as Christians, as people that believe that God's word is true, is that marriage is meant to be a man and a wife. There's a lot of different options, I know that, and there's a lot of different tendencies that people are pushing towards you, but you've got to understand, this is, this is God's perfect design. Um, I'm not going to make an Adam and Steve joke here, but that, that, that's, that's a good application. God did not design a different kind of marriage. God could have done anything he wanted. This is the beginning of all creation. He could have done anything he wanted here, and yet he didn't. He did a man and a woman. Notice something else. If you look at those same words, let's look at that one. Verse 24, Therefore a man shall hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I want you to notice something else. Those are singular words. Marriage is not only a man and a woman, but it is one man and one woman, not plurality, not, not polygamy. You might say to yourself, well, Pastor Rod, didn't God have kings like David and Solomon even who had many wives? And I, I would say, yes, they did. That's a really good question. Um, and and I, if I had more time, I could answer that in greater detail. But let me just say this one, this one little thing. And if you want to talk about this more, you can talk about this in your small groups. Um, God never approved that. God never said, hey, uh, David, go marry multiple women. Hey, Solomon, acquire many wives and many concubines. Have, have at it. God never applauded that. He never approved that. God tolerated it. Just like today, God tolerates our sin. Today, God allows us to continue to sin in ways that for the Old Testament patriarchs, they would say, what are you guys doing? Why are you guys killing your babies? God's tolerating our sin. God is letting us do what we're going to do. And in a similar sense, God allows the Old Testament patriarchs, the kings, to have multiple wives. Not that that was his design. As we can see here, he designed it to be a man and a wife together for life. Not only that here, um, let me also point out to you that one flesh union right there. Okay, so obviously it's, it's referring to the physical union. Okay, so let's, let's we'll agree to that. There's an anatomical connection here. But it's also much more than that. It's not less than that. It's more than that. There is a union that's happening here that is both physical and spiritual. Have you ever glued two pieces of paper together? Like as a kid, maybe you got, you got the glue stick and you put two pieces of paper together and just... Like if you, if you try to pull them together within, I don't know, a couple seconds, it's okay. Like you, you could still keep them together and they'll be more or less intact. But if they're together for any length of time and you try to pull them apart, you're going to have ripping on your hands. Both of the single papers are destroyed because of the act of tearing them apart. And that's what God is trying to get to here. When Jesus talks about it, if you read today's DBR, Jesus refers to this passage. He says, have you not read God instituted male and female? He put them together. They're going to become one flesh. And then the, and the Pharisees responded, well, why did Moses say you can, you can write a certificate of divorce? And Jesus said, it's because you're hardness of heart. But in the beginning, it was not meant to be that way. This is the text that Jesus points to when he says, divorce is awful for you. It's terrible for you. It's like cancer. Are there times when it's permissible? Yes, but it is never, ever ideal. Marriage is meant to be man and woman. It's meant to be exclusive, and it's meant to be permanent. So when you start courting or dating your, your, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, you've got to understand that you're not just seeing if they're attractive, if you like their personality, if you like their, the way they make you laugh. You're looking at someone that you're about to, or at least you want to, ideally, have a relationship that will endure the rest of your life in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer. I get to have couples walk through those vows, and those vows, I say, you better be serious about this. Don't say it if you're not meaning it. Mean what you're saying. Marriage is meant to be man and wife, singular, 
exclusive, I mean permanent rather. I want to make one final observation in this text, and I want to, I want to show you guys, this is for you. Ladies, take a look at this text and notice who is markedly absent in saying a single word. God the Father brings the woman to the man. Man responds. He says, she's my wife. Who is not saying anything here? It's Eve, isn't it? Notice. Okay, the man says, he, he vows, right? We said this a second ago. That says vow, in case you can't read that. <laughs> Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. And then just a, just a verse earlier, again, or the same verse here, this is the last bone of my bone, flesh my flesh. He's vowing to her. He's the one who leaves. He's the one who's leading the, leading the charge. The man is the one, not even waiting for Eve to say, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm all in, even though she was. He vows to her. He leads the way. I will sacrifice. I'm putting my life on the line. I think what you have here, and, and the, the fact that Eve's absent, there, there's a, there's a, I, I could say more about that, but what I'm trying to point out here is that Adam's the one who's taking the initiative. Adam's the one who's called to sacrifice. Adam's leaving his family. So if there's ever a contradiction, if there's ever a dispute between a biological, mar- a biological family and married family, God is saying, hey, man, you're leaving your family and you're cleaving to your wife. And so now your higher allegiance is to your marriage, the one that you're marrying and committing to. That is your call. It just seems all over this text, God is making it abundantly clear that the man is the one who is called to lead and to sacrifice for the betterment, benevolent love and care for his wife. What does that look like? Let me just do this really quickly here. Um, The biblical ideal here in the middle. Husband is not meant to be a wimp. He's not meant to be a tyrant. The wife is not meant to be a doormat walked all over by this man. And she's not meant to be a usurper. Instead, where you have the best balance of the two of them is where the husband is a loving, humble leader. And the wife is a joyful and, get this, intelligent submitter. She's not just going along with whatever. She's not jumping into sin. She's not saying, hey, whatever you want. I'm just a doormat. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. I'm a robot. They are both working together in the roles that God has given them to be a couple that complement one another. And in that way, they reach an intimate unity that allows them both to fulfill the, the greatest sense of their humanity that could possibly be known. And yet today, so often we look at marriage, we look at male-female relationships, we say, oh, we'll redefine it. We'll, we'll call it whatever we want it to be called. It's going to be something new. I don't want to be called a female anymore. I want to be called a whatever. You know, I don't want to be called a male anymore. I want to be called a whatever. Trying to redefine what God has already defined is like taking a Van Gogh and saying, well, let me improve upon that Van Gogh. Let me take Starry Night and just add a couple more colors. Kind of like what Cecilia Jimenez did. Cecilia Jimenez took a 122-year-old painting by Elias Garcia Martinez. It was hanging in her church, and she thought, you know, that painting looks a little ragged. I know what I'll do. I'm going to be a blessing to my church. I'm going to take it home, and I'm going to restore it for the church for free. And so Cecilia, being the elderly, sweet old woman that she was, took it home, and she did just that. She brings it back to her local church, and she produces this. <laughs> just for reference, just for reference, here's the two together. <laughs> Don't worry, things worked out well for them. It became, it became a tourist attraction, like, oh, wow, that's hilarious. And yet we do the same things when we try to redefine what God has already defined for us. 
We do just as much damage, no, correction, worse damage to human relationships when we try to redefine what God has already instituted in perfection in the garden. So you would be incredibly wise, young person, to readjust, recalibrate what your expectations are for male-female relationships and male and female roles and say, I'm not as smart as God. I'm going to submit to what God wants me to do. Because here's the thing. God defines what God designs. God defines what God designs. We don't get to do that. We don't have that liberty. But here's the thing. When we follow what God has defined and what God has designed, it is infinitely better for us. This is what leads to human flourishing. We will continue this conversation next week with our second installment of our Boys and Girls series, but I hope for now this gets us off to a good start. Let's pray.